He might be the hardest working guy in fantasy baseball, and we've got him. We'll talk with Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com and SiriusXM Fantasy Channel about the Oakland home run replay controversy, how to keep playing hard when your team's not doing well, facts and flukes, and much more. Next on Baseball HQ Radio. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of May the 10th and show number 17 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com and the SiriusXM Fantasy Channel, we'll have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com. Our National League analyst is Harold Nichols. Our American League analyst, columnist Jock Thompson. In our regular minor league minute, Rob Gordon looks at Arizona right-handed pitching prospect Archie Bradley. Our HQ Alternatives commentator, Matt Beagle, talks about why the Twins offer the most counting stats for the remainder of the year. In our HQ matchup segment, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at the best and worst pitcher matchups over the next few days, including St. Louis starter Lance Lynn, Colorado starter Juan Nicasio, and a couple more. And in Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com writer and team analyst Phil Hertz talks about not worrying too much about artificial price benchmarks from your auction. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio, where our replays are conclusive. Hey, what do you say? We got to talk some baseball. Did you see that botched call on the Adam Rosales home run that wasn't called? Trust the lords of the realm to finally do the right thing by instituting replay and then get the mechanics of it all wrong. Well, we'll try to keep our mechanics right in the first inning of our show. Our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's our National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. Nick, uh, Jeff Tomich of BaseballHQ.com in our Facts and Flukes column. This is a terrific column that looks at player performance and assesses whether it's for real. And and uh, Unieski Betancourt of Milwaukee, a former terrible player in Kansas City, has really been a hot commodity in fantasy baseball. Seven home runs and uncharacteristic for Unieski Betancourt. And the question is, is it for real? No, it's not for real. You take a look at, at Uni Betancourt's uh, history. And everything else looks, the only thing that looks out of line at this point for Uni Betancourt is his home run per fly rate. The guy's got a 19% home run per fly rate, and, and so the balls have been sailing over the fence. But you, you look at, at, at the other things that are going on. His expected batting average is a little bit high because of the uh, some extra power, but really he's kind of right in line with where he's been in terms of his batting average. Uh, his walk rate, this guy swings at everything, uh, and eventually pitchers figure that out. He's got a 4% walk rate uh almost uh, consistently throughout his career, and it's still there. His con- makes good contact, contact rate, but it's the same as, as everything else. And fly ball rate's about the same. So the only thing that's really standing out right now in Uni Betancourt's skills is that 19% home run per fly rate, which we know is an aberration. That's going to come down. 
uh, over the past couple of seasons, his home run for fly rates have been 8%, 6%, 8%. So uh, certainly that will come back, uh, come back uh, to normal very, very quickly. And then Uni Betancourt will have almost no value. Yeah, that 19% home run per fly ball rate sticks out like a sore thumb. That's Miguel Cabrera country, and it's certainly not something you expect to see from a hitter like Betancourt. No, you don't. So that's uh, you know that's that's an aberration at this point, and uh, certainly we expect uh, Uni Betancourt to come back to earth. Now is a great time to sell high on him. I mean, he's uh, the, uh, was playing third base in Milwaukee. They've shifted him to first base now. Uh, Corey Hart will be out for probably another month. So a, a good time for Uni for you to sell on Uni Betancourt, I think. And oddly enough, this might be a good time to do it because he's uh, 100% owned in the uh, ESPN public leagues, and I believe those are 10-team mixed, which means there's going to be some demand. People think Unieski Betancourt offers some value. And the other thing I was going to say about him is at the the knock on Unieski Betancourt, at least from when I remember watching him at Kansas City, was he's a fairly... Um, haphazard defensive player he can make the tough plays but he often botches the easy ones and a pretty bad base runner and if there's one thing that drives managers crazy it's when their players are running into outs so between the uh other options that milwaukee has at the positions that betancourt is playing first second and short uh, i don't know that this guy's playing time is going to last as long as uh, all those people in those public leagues seem to think yeah, i agree with you i don't think his playing time is going to last at all once uh, once milwaukee gets completely healthy also, uh, Jeff Thomas wrote about Russell Martin in uh, in Pittsburgh. He's a catcher over there. We're always looking for a good catcher. Russell Martin, is he it? Yeah, Russell Martin may, may just have a really good year. Russell Martin last year hit 21 home runs, but a 211 batting average kind of made, uh, made you look at, uh, here's a catcher with uh, with some power, but uh, an awful B.A. But Russell, Russell Martin has shown in the past that he can uh, hit better than that. Uh, he started off with a 272 batting average this year and six home runs already. His... Uh, his home run for fly rate is is up a bit. It's twenty five percent. So expect that to come down a bit. But uh, you know, here's a guy that's that's shown in the past. He's got decent power. Uh, he's an, in a, a kind of a uh, still a youngish age as a catcher. Uh, certainly not not over the hill. Uh, has always had good skills. Makes good contact. Uh, so uh, you know, I think Russell Martin could be. Uh, he's changed teams. Uh, gone gone to Pittsburgh, and so I think Russell Martin could have a very very good year overall. There's a bit of concern in the fact that his fly ball rate has always been fairly low. He hits a lot of ground balls, which means for him to get a lot of home runs, he has to have that big home run for fly ball rate. We mentioned that Betancourt's fly ball rate is probably unsustainable at 20%. You have to believe that Martin's is probably unsustainable at 25 It probably is, although the last two years he'd been at 16 and 20. So you uh, you know, you know, think, well, he can, he can at least keep it in the mid-15, uh, mid 16 17 range and, and that's still going to get him quite a few home runs so uh but uh, yeah 25 is certainly i think definitely unsustainable and one thing you have to like about russell martin from the batting average point of view is that the i ratio this year 0.91 which means he's drawing almost as many walks as he's striking out and his uh walk rate is 10 percent and almost 90 percent for contact rate those are really good numbers and indicative that at least from a batting average perspective this could be sustainable yeah, very definitely. I mean, uh, here's a guy who had had some decent batting averages uh, before last season. Uh, so uh, we're looking at a last year a 264 uh, expected BA, XBA. Uh, certainly could uh, could meet that XBA from last year very easily. I think this year the way he started out. And uh, I did mention his home run per fly ball rate. Jeff Tomich drew attention to the fact that over his last thousand at bats, which is a pretty good sample size, he has maintained a home run per fly ball in the high teens. So we could probably expect a little bit of a downturn in that, but not a collapse. And that's uh, really what you're trying to avoid. Uh, our 
Starting Pitching Buyer's Guide columnist Stephen Nickrand, a terrific columnist at BaseballHQ.com, writes about the starting pitchers. He was looking at April BPV leaders, base performance value leaders, and one of the names that caught his eye is in Atlanta, Paul Mahalam. Paul Mahalam's a guy we've always kind of liked at, at Baseball HQ. He's always looked like he was going to have a, a real breakout and, and finally did that in 2011 uh, and then had a very, very good uh, half season last year when he went after he got traded to Atlanta. He, uh, a, a BPV of 88. So it looks like he could, uh, in fact, sustain some of those uh, those excellent uh, excellent skills that he's shown over the year. To start out the year, his dom rate is up. Uh, his command is up because of that. He's not giving up many home runs. Uh, really pitching extremely well. And now a ground ball rate, always has had a ground ball rate, just over 50%. That's continued. So uh, here's a guy with uh, 3.09 ERA, 3.29 XERA. Uh, looks to me as though he could have a very, very fine season. Paul Mahalam is the guy we have always liked and uh, certainly no reason to sell now. And finally, Nick, uh, in the news, looks like J.J. Putz is back on the DL. That's probably not a real big news item, but Heath Bell draws in and is going to get some saves. In fact, he's got three already. Now, Heath Bell has got three saves this past week and three chances, and looks like he's going to be the guy for a while, at least in Arizona. And, you know, the, D- Doug Dennis wrote about Heath Bell earlier this week before he wound, wound up back in the closer role, and Doug was looking at guys with uh, great skills but higher run averages. And that's the thing that's going to kind of put you off about Heath Bell right now. It's a uh, He's at a 4.11 ERA, uh, but his skills are 183 BPV, so very, very elite skills that he's demonstrated so far. Uh, 11.7 strikeouts per nine innings, less than, less than two walks per nine innings. So pitching extremely well. And if you look at that ERA, this is the time of the season when one performance can completely ruin your ERA, especially if you're a relief pitcher. In his first appearance of the year, Heath Bell pitched a third of an inning, gave up three earned runs, two home runs, uh, and that—that that is what has kept the ERA inflated. If you get rid of that one, uh, that one appearance, that one third of an inning on April the second, his ERA would be 2.4, and we'd think a lot better of him uh, if that were out of the picture. So uh, Heath Bell's a guy who's, who's pitching very, very well. He's now got an opportunity in in uh, Arizona, uh, and uh, you know, for a while, I think he could he could do well. Good history of, uh, of uh, as a closer. Uh, collapsed last year, but, uh, you know, a guy can have an off year. Again, especially as you say, because they pitch so seldom that it doesn't take m- too many bad outings to really ruin an entire season. And the beauty of getting Heath Bell now, if you can get him after that big blow-up, is you're, you're getting the 2.5 ERA guy and not the 6 ERA guy. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, uh, that's you know, other guys look at that, that big ERA and think that's what it is. Well, it really hasn't been since April the 3rd. What about David Hernandez, uh, Nick? I remember at Tout Wars, there was actually, in the end game, there was a bit of a bidding war on David Hernandez because a lot of people seem to think that, uh, given Heath Bell's troubles in 2012, that should puts go on the DL or be ineffective, that maybe in the long run David Hernandez would be the guy. It really doesn't look that much like it. Well, you know, right now at least David Hernandez is not the guy, but I wouldn't, uh, I would not uh, hesitate, I think, to pick up David Hernandez at this point. I mean, we're down from a three-person closer situation kind of thing in, in Arizona to two with puts on the DL, and who knows how this elbow thing is going to work out. It's, it's good to hear that he's not going to have to have, have TJ surgery, but uh, it, it may take a while for him to come back, and, and Heath Bell did show last year that he could blow up at any time, so I certainly, if David Hernandez is out there, he's a guy that I would kind of tuck away. When you mention elbows, even uh, even when somebody says, we looked at his elbow and it's not going to require Tommy John surgery, just the fact they're looking at his elbow is terrible news, really. 
Very definitely. It certainly is, especially with a, with a guy with uh, puts his injury history. All right, Nick, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. You'll be on the road. Very definitely. On the road next week. Harold Nichols writes a National League Central Division Outlook regularly for BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's move over to the American League. And BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hi, PD. Thanks for having me. Well, it's another big week. We had a closer change in Boston. Joel Hanrahan was ineffective after he came back and, uh, and now got injured with an elbow strain. Looks like he could be out for quite a while. Andrew Bailey, and here's a news story. He's injured again, per usual. So now the team has announced that Yunichi Tazawa is going to get the ninth inning chances, and uh, it looks like somebody that uh, could be interesting from a saves perspective. Tazawa's announcement was a minor surprise, given that Koji Uehara has has been pretty effective, and, and he's actually had experience in that role. He had 13 saves in 2010. But Uihara is 38 years old, and he too has a history of injuries, as his health grade suggests. And, and Boston manager John Farrell has expressed some reluctance in using him on back-to-back days. But I like Tozawa here. Tozawa has, uh, we've, we've, we've been talking about him at the site all during the spring, and, and now um, he has uh, he has closer-type peripherals. Um, I think he could have some staying power, and I think Boston is looking to establish some stability in this role. The one caveat that I have is that he's he's giving up a lot of fly balls this year, and he's done that in his past. But last year, he had a 49% ground ball rate, so um, he needs to correct the fly balls and the home runs, but uh, I like him. I like him, too. As a matter of fact, I have him on both my teams. I've got an American League only and in Tout Wars, both for the minimum bid, a, a dollar a time. And the reason I did that was because Doug Dennis, before the season even started, predicted this was exactly going to happen, that Bailey would get hurt and that Hanrahan would be ineffective and or hurt, and that Tozawa's skills made him the likely candidate. So Doug Dennis gets a big slap on the back from me and from everybody else at BaseballHQ.com who who heeded his advice and might be on the way to getting some low-cost saves. Now, uh, over in Toronto, J.A. Happ in a horrendous scene. We, I was watching that game, and it was just awful when he got hit in the head by that line drive. He's on the DL with uh, what they've now described as a fractured skull. Josh Johnson's on the DL, probably another 10 days to two weeks, and that's if everything goes well. And, of course, Ricky Romero's return was probably even worse than his spring training. He didn't even get out of the first inning in his last start, and he's been sent back down to AAA. So the rotation, which was supposed to be a strength of this club, has turned into a real problem. So dire of a situation that the Jays have recalled Ramon Ortiz, a blast from the past, and he's going to join the rotation in Toronto. Ramon Ortiz, jock, and ex-Angel, what can you tell us about his chances? Well, the one thing you can say about Ramon Ortiz is that he's 40 years old and he's not what he used to be in his prime when he was when he was a decent number four, number five starter. Uh, the last time he had any start, significant starting time was back in 2005, 6, and 7, and his ERA was just under 6, So, uh, and the skills match. Um, he, there's just really nothing here. He's not striking out hitters. His control is spotty. Um, he gets a decent amount of ground balls, but he's nobody I'd consider rostering. I know some people were considering Brad Lincoln, who had a bit of a past record as a starter, and uh, has had an excellent relief record. Lincoln's career record as a reliever, 3.2 command, uh, that's 3.2 strikeouts to every walk. That's really good. 9.5 strikeouts per 9 for a dominance rate. That's really good. 338 ERA, 116 whip. Excellent results. But listen to this, Jock. As a starter in his career, a 1.9 command ratio, so just over half. 
Uh, 5.0 strikeouts per nine for a dominance rate, which is subpar, and a 565-149 line. That's just not getting the job done. Because of injuries, Toronto's rotation is starting to look a lot like Houston's. I mean, you're you're good through the first two or three guys, and then the last two slots, you, you don't know who's going to be there. Um, this is one that I would stay away from. I would watch it because of the opportunity, but there's just nobody – Nobody here other than, than, than maybe Lincoln. I mean, who knows? Uh, uh, worth uh, taking a flyer on. When you say the first three guys in the Jays' rotation are pretty good, I think maybe only the first two. Mark Beerley's been terrible this year. He's got a 2.1 home run per nine, the worst record in the American League. His walk rate is highest since 2003. He's under six innings per start after getting close to seven for his career, which means a quicker hook this year. The Jays are in trouble. Now, you also mentioned the Houston Astros pitching staff. We talked about that uh, last week because you had it in your AL West Division Outlook column. And then right after we talked on Monday, Houston made a huge bunch of roster and lineup changes. Rick Ankeel gets sent down. Fernando Martinez gets sent down. Brandon Laird got waived. So who who are they going to replace these guys with, and is there anybody here worth looking at? Yeah, obviously, um, the discussion here is part of a talent thing. All of the above names that, that you mentioned had been seeing uh, pretty significant playing time, which isn't necessarily a good thing. So whether you're, you'd be interested in the, in the Houston replacements was, is really going to depend on how deep your, your league is. Uh, JD Martinez, he, he got, uh, reinstated off the DL. Um, he's, he's a little bit of a hacker. He has some upside based on his age. Um, they brought up Trevor Crow. The one name that I'm a little in, intrigued with is uh, Jimmy Paredes. Uh, he's an outfielder who has good speed, and he's he established a running game in the minors. Uh, he's actually stolen 157 bases uh, in uh, 207 attempts in the minors, so he can run. He's got a good speed score. His problem is is that he's been a bit of a hacker in the past. Now, one intriguing note about him this year at AAA, he has a 14 to 19 walk to strikeout ratio in 112 at bats. So this is something new. It's, it's going to be interesting to see if it lasts in Houston, but Bo Porter is tired of all the swinging and missing and, and lack of contact. He's going to try to run a little bit more. So I think Paredes is going to get some opportunities. He was in the lineup the first two nights. He got three hits. Um, this is a guy, if you need a flyer or looking for some speed, uh, take a shot at it. Dave Adler looked at Vernon Wells, speaking of former Angels, having a nice comeback year for the Yankees. Uh, you got to watch Vernon Wells quite a bit in Southern California over the last couple of seasons, watching millions of salary dollars fly out the window for very little result. Do you think this rebound has any kind of staying power? You know, I think it, I think it does. Um, if, if you look at Vernon's problems last, well, the last two years, really, in Anaheim, they were hit rate rate related. I mean, he had a 22% hit rate in 2011 and then 2012, a 23% hit rate. Now he's back up to 29%, which is a lot more uh, normal. And as his batting average is, uh, is uh, around 280, 290, he still hits with power. He did that in Los Angeles. I think the problem with Vernon is going to be when Curtis Granderson gets back, uh, uh, what's going to happen there. And as a right-handed hitter, he's extremely pull happy. So he's never going to take full advantage of Yankee Stadium. He could take uh, bats away from each era after Granderson's return, but his playing time is going to be in question down the road. Yeah, Granderson's uh, now well through his rehab. I don't even think it's going to be another month. When Granderson comes back, it looks like they'll probably move Gardner over to left, which kind of cuts Vernon out of his spot. Could he go over to right field and take away some at-bats from Ichiro Suzuki? Uh, Wells is out OPSing Ichiro by 180-some points. 
Yeah, I think he could. Vernon's still a pretty good defensive outfielder at the corners. He had, he had faded in center over the years. Um, again, I, I, you know, obviously I think with any team right now, they're going to play who's hot and, and how do you sit Vernon Wells? I mean, he's got seven home runs. He's hitting 287. He's slugging over 500. And uh, he, he's, he's showing a rebound in his skills. Bob Berger's American League Central Division Outlook column covered Trevor Bauer, who had a spot start for Cleveland last week, and looked pretty good, five shutout innings. Should we be looking a little harder at Trevor Bauer again? Well, Bauer has one issue, and that's control. Well, c- control and experience, let's say. Um, he had five shutout innings. He also walked six, if I'm not mistaken, that game. And the interesting thing was his next minor league start, he pitched six and two-thirds innings of no-hit ball in which he allowed four walks and two runs. So clearly he has nasty stuff. Uh, batters are having trouble uh, touching him. Um, his AAA numbers, um, 31 strikeouts and 10 walks over 24 innings, su- actually suggest that his control is improving. And I, I think Bauer's likely going to get more chances in Cleveland regardless, especially if Cleveland drops out of contention later in the second half. And when you think about it, the, the, the five shutout innings he threw were positive regardless of the walk. So, yeah, I'd be a moderate Bauer buyer here. Uh, I'm projecting that he improves on this enough to have some intermittent value during the year. But he's, he's, he's certainly a, a risk. The walks, uh, the walks keep him a little bit risky. And the walks contribute directly to a, to a poor whip and probably to a somewhat inflated ERA. So that's a factor to consider for sure. I think a lot also, Jock, is going to depend on the individual owner's team and league context. If you're looking at the standings and you project them out to the end and you look like you're going to be a fifth-place team or a fourth-place team and you really need to be thinking about catching lightning in a bottle, Trevor Bauer's the kind of guy you almost have to look at because if he solves the control problem, all of a sudden he's a, a near-ace quality pitcher and you probably get him on the cheap. But if you're a top team, if you're a team that looks to finish first or second and you're going to be right up there in the, in the hunt for the pennant, you really can't afford to take that risk. And so, and there's keeper issues as well. So, so much depends on league context. We get a lot of people who ask us in the baseballhq.com forums and when we run into people and emails and stuff, and they want to know, should I trade player X for player Y? And the answer is, man, it's impossible to say without knowing what the context is. That's a good call, PD. And obviously, in a keeper league, Trevor Bauer is uh, is a definite keeper. Finally, speaking of starting pitchers, Stephen Nickrand's starting pitcher buyer's guide column looked at April's base performance values. Base performance values is a combined metric at BaseballHQ.com that we use to take into account strikeouts per nine, uh, dominance, control, command, home runs per nine, all of these things, ground ball rate. And among the recommendations as a high base performance value pitcher in April was Roberto Hernandez, the artist formerly known as Fausto Carmona. Do you agree with Stephen Nickrand? Yes and no. Um, it, it's it's obviously a small sample size. It's six games and, and 37 innings. Um, but uh, Hernandez has never looked better. Um, uh, and and uh, Tampa Bay pitching coach Jim Hickey has had a lot of success with reclamation projects. The thing that's really different about uh, Hernandez right now, I want to call him Carmona because that's what I'm used to calling him. Um, but but the real difference is his strikeouts are just soaring. He's got a 9.1 dom strikeouts per per, not, per nine innings, um, and his previous high was seven strikeouts per nine innings way back in 2006. He he hasn't been over six in a long long time. Uh, I don't know how long this is going to last, but uh, if you're looking at pitching risks, this is a guy who's still throwing ground balls. Um, he's having a few problems with the home runs uh, right now, but given that ground ball rate, I think that's going to normalize. 
Um, this is a guy like like we talked about with uh, Trevor Bauer. If you need pitching and are looking to take a, a decent risk, I would take a shot with with Hernandez. I would too, and two of the reasons are: first of all, he's giving up a lot of home runs. One point five home runs per nine innings is high, and it's one of those stats that can be reversed. It's a, quite a lot higher than his past track record would indicate. Although he was a two point five in Cleveland in two thousand twelve. The other thing is that the Tampa bullpen has been terrible, as we know. Now, he can't point to them and say, this is why my one loss record is as poor as it is. He lost four games in April, and he left trailing in all four of them. And the one he won, he left leading, and they held the lead for him. But he's left six base runners on, and they've allowed two of them to score, which has inflated his ERA by full half run from 418, had they not allowed those runs to score, to 468 now that they have. Yeah, um, that's the other caveat. It was, it's a good call by you in mentioning that. Uh, the Tampa Bay has been hellacious. In fact, they just blew a four to one lead for Hernandez after he'd left, uh, following six good innings, uh, this past week. So, uh, the Rays obviously have some work to do there. All right, Jock. Thanks very much for talking with us. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Okay, PD. See you later on. Jock Thompson is the director of news and analysis for BaseballHQ.com. He writes the American League West Division Outlook column and does a whole bunch of stuff around Baseball HQ. Jock's also our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our feature interview with Jeff Erickson from Rotowire.com and SiriusXM comes up next. Stay with us. You're on Baseball HQ Radio. First off, Stengel was to me one of the more misunderstood figures in baseball because of his time with the Mets and because he understood what his role was and his role was to entertain the media and, and I think uh, his baseball knowledge and his, his general acumen was really lost in a lot of that caricature okay? he became a caricature uh, of himself and uh, for the players though it was interesting you know he'd get you in spring training every year and he had the same routine I mean, with the Mets, I mean, he really started with the basics. I mean, you know, like he went over to the bag and he reached in there and he pulled out a ball and he said, this is a baseball. And that's where we started. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Before we get to Jeff Erickson and this week's feature interview, I want to offer a correction relating to last week's show. Last week, during our feature interview with BaseballHQ.com minor league analyst Rob Gordon, we briefly discussed Dodgers prospect Yaziel Puig, and I mentioned that Puig had been charged with a DUI. A loyal podcast listener emailed in to tell us that Puig was not, in fact, charged with DUI. He was charged with speeding, reckless driving, and driving without proof of insurance. In fact, police said he was apparently acting as the designated driver when the incident occurred. Now let's move to our feature interview, and it's a pleasure now to be joined by a past visitor to Baseball HQ Radio. It's been too long. Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com and SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio. Jeff, welcome back to the show. My pleasure, Patrick. Thanks for having me on, as always. Let me publicly say I really enjoy the job you do as the uh, auctioneer at Tout Wars Mixed. It really moves along quickly. We draft it from scratch, and we got it done in four hours or whatever it is. It's just a really enjoyable uh, process. Uh, thanks. I enjoy being the auctioneer. I like kind of being involved. And I've I found that over time, you know, the vast majority of people prefer a quicker pace, especially in an, in an expert league. This is your home league. It's a little different. But I figure we're all touts. We all know the player pool. You know, we, we have a general idea what these guys are worth. Keep it going. Keep it moving. Be ready. And, uh, you know, it's one thing if someone wants to update their, their software or, you know, get, get make sure the rosters are right. I'll, pause, I'll always pause for that. But 
when it's going, go. You know, you don't need and you know thirty seconds of contemplation to decide what you want to uh, bid on this guy. Just bid it. And even in a home league, I play in a, a very long-standing home league with it, which is not made up mostly of experts. It's mostly made up of guys who enjoy baseball and and you know they read the magazines and most of them have a website or two that they like. But they're not as well prepared as experts. But having that said, we, we adopted a few years ago. Uh, um, an idea that we would hire an auctioneer, not an expert like you, but just a, a a guy who was willing to come in, and and we said, here's our rule: as soon as somebody makes makes a bid, you just have a watch and you count five seconds, going once, five seconds, going twice, and there's no um, waiting around for the the for the inconsistent going once, going twice. Everybody knows what the rules are, and it's it's sped up the league by a hundred percent. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, yeah, I, I, that's fine. It's, you know, we, you can always crack wise during an auction, too. We don't want to stamp down on that. But right. it's just a question of just you know, keep it moving, be ready. Uh, you know, it's, you know we, we know the players. Like you said, it doesn't have to be an expert. You just have to know the player pool. I once asked you how many leagues you were in, and you told me at the time, this was a year or two ago, that you were playing more than 20 leagues. Do you still play that many? No, I scaled back a little bit, man. I've got kids. It's It's tough. I have to do that. But, you know, it's funny. My scale back is still ludicrous. I've, I'm in 10 roto leagues, four score sheet leagues, and one strat league. That's a lot of leagues. Which formats are your favorites? It's still roto. Um, I, 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 you know, my, my favorite league is still my old school home AL only 4x4 four four league, the one that started RotoWire, uh, Roto News back in the day. It's still my favorite league uh, just because of the people that's in it every year. And, you know, hey, it, it's. I love the format. Now I like, but I like playing. I like playing different formats. I do like that. And of course, it's kind of a prerequisite for my job too. You know, you need to be able to give advice in various different types of formats. Otherwise, what are you doing out there? So yeah, I, I'm pretty big on that. But yeah, I think that that's my favorite league. Tau's a great league. A great, and that's that's another stable group of people. I've been there together forever. Um, and I love the NFBC. I love, I, you know, I, I, I picked up a new home league two years ago because it's people where I live now. So it's a live draft. Live drafts are in, ten times better than online drafts. They are, yeah. And if if you could only win one of the leagues that you're in, which one would you choose? The NFBC main event, because hey, hundred grand, right? <laughs> yeah, hard to argue with the hundred grand. But money aside, uh, do you have any? Not preference? just that. It, it's it's it, the money is important, but also it's it's a. Tough pool. People don't realize how tough the NFBC is. Uh, a lot of great players, 450 players too. It's it's the number of teams that you're competing against. Uh, the fact that you know you're you're not going to get any. Uh, there, there, there's no softies in the league. You're not going to get a uh, unbalanced trade. There aren't. There's no trading in that league. I prefer trading leagues, but I, I do like that in this particular format. There's no trades. So yeah, it's important to me. I think it's uh, a validation to do well in that league. That thing, you know. It's not necessarily that if you do bad one year, you don't know your stuff, but I think to come out clean on the other side and win the whole thing, I think it's pretty conclusive proof that you really do know how to play this game. And how are you doing in your NFBC league? Oh, horrible. I'm horrible. <laughs> I, if my, I have one weakness this year, and that is that I don't think I gave enough credit to, uh, to the batting average category. Uh, I think it... And true in my dollar values, and I think it's uh, carried over. I, I, many of my leagues, I'm doing fine with that. But in this particular league, I took some uh, risks. I took some batting average risks, and you know, it was the worst case scenario has uh, occurred with a lot of these guys. Be it Cameron Mabin, who's first stunk and then right. got hurt, and now I'm carrying that roster spot in my reserve roster for a long time, unable to improve somewhere else. Uh, you know, a handful of guys I took batting average risks on, and they didn't pay off. And some of my guys that I thought were going to, you know, help my batting average recover from those risks. Haven't worked out the way I'd expect to. So uh, 
It's it's always deflating when your team's not hitting well too. It's frustrating. I I, I still have a solid foundation. I feel like my pitching has been better than expected, but I've got eight and a half hitting points in a fifteen team league. That's just horrible. And it just it all starts with the bad batting average, hitting two thirty as a team. Jeff, before we go on to talk about uh, the uh, roto world, the fantasy world in general, I'm curious about what you thought of the uh, non home run call the other night in the Cleveland Oakland game. It looked to essentially everybody in humanity who saw it as an obvious home run on the replay, and the only people who didn't see it that way were the three umpires who got to make the call. First of all, does what do you think this says about the replay process? And second of all, should the should Major League Baseball Commissioner Seelig have done something about it? Oh, I absolutely should have done something about it. It was clear and plain evidence. Uh, and I, I, as angry as Angel Hernandez's call and decision not to overturn the call, uh, saying he didn't have clear and convincing evidence, which was plainly garbage. I'm more upset by the mealy mouth statement by Joe Torre in Major League Baseball about this, saying that it's the, the, true, the crew chief's sole discretion, and therefore it stands. It's a tautology. Secondly, you know, oh, we acknowledge it was a bad call, so we'll give him a stern talking to. Okay, great. Now what? It, it, you know, it, it should, it, it's really a ludicrous process that the crew chief reviews the play, his own call, as opposed to someone in the central office reviewing the call, which doesn't have, I don't want to say the word bias, but, you know, there's a natural inclination of uh, humans to, you know, want to have this confirmation bias. And it, it's, I, I think it's just a, a silly, silly process, and there should no, in this day and age, a situation like this should never occur. That's an interesting point. I was watching the game, and I hadn't realized at the time that it was Hernandez who made the call and Hernandez who got to make the decision about whether the call was right. And he's got a lot of flack over the years for being a relatively poor umpire. It's no secret that a lot of people on the Internet have said he's the worst umpire in the league and so forth. And and that seems to, it would for me anyway, if somebody kept saying you're the worst at something, I would be maybe a little bit disinclined to, to go into a situation and say, yep, I blew another one. Yeah, and, and even worse, he wasn't. He would. He refused to go on the record to talk about his decision. It was. It's and Major League Baseball is fine with that. It's really a dumbfounding process, and I, I hear like talk about the human element. Human element, and then you know, Tory Stevens said we don't expect perfection. It's a hard thing to achieve, but this you don't require perfection to get this right. Secondly, it's. The umpires are not the game. The human element is the players playing the game, not the umpires deciding the game. That's, that's the thing that just, it's so bad. It's, and it's a perfectly easy situation to remedy. The game is, it's a home run. You start from that point, the game is tied 4-4. I mean, it's, it's, it, it strains credulity that you can go this route. It's not even tantamount to the same thing as the Jim Joyce blown call in the Galarraga perfect game because you know what? Okay, it's a personal achievement. It's not as opposed to, Winning the actual game. This determined the outcome of the game. It's mind-bending that they'd allow this to stand. And they determined the outcome of a game that could have ramifications down the road for two divisions. Because Oakland could very easily be at the top or near the top of their division, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that the American League Central or wildcard race could involve Cleveland. I mean, they're not great, but you know anything's possible. But certainly Oakland looks like a very strong team. It's going to be in tough against Texas. Boy, oh boy, there's a lot of down-the-road ramifications. And you can bet if Oakland misses the, misses the playoffs by one game that somebody's going to bring this up. Yeah, they're more concerned about Angel Hernandez's feelings than they are about the integrity of the game. Yeah, it's terrible. Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick David with Jeff Erickson from Roto-Wire and Sirius XM Radio. And Jeff, which players do you think have been the biggest positive surprises this season, really surprising us in a good way? 
You know, I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by Starling Marte. I, I didn't think he could sustain a high batting average. I didn't think his play discipline was strong enough to do so. But you know, you, a closer look maybe it reveals that you know, uh, yeah, he doesn't walk a lot, but he also doesn't strike a lot, strike out a lot. And I think there's something to be said for that. You know, clearly he's not going to hit at the same pace, but I, I do think there will be some fallback there. He, he's certainly a pleasant surprise. I would say the extent to which uh, Matt Harvey has been so good is a little surprising. Uh, someone pointed out the other day that he's faced nothing but the bottom ten offenses in baseball, but still, you still have to dominate against those guys. Uh, I'll throw out, uh, I think, I, one guy that's been a good find for me that I've had is Hisashi Okuma. I had him in a few places last year. I didn't expect the strikeouts to be this strong this year. That's the thing that I was kind of caught off guard by. That He's actually improved over his second half run from last year, so I'm a little pleasantly surprised from him as well. And on the other side, which players do you think have been the biggest negative surprises? Uh, my entire NFBC team. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I think a couple guys. Uh, one, I, I'm not totally surprised that Matt Kemp is starting slowly because of the shoulder. To the extent, the degree of how much he's slumped has really been a big, you know, strong, you know, you know, a strong thing. But David Price is the other one. That's the one that I, I really thought, you know, he'd be really stable, have, have a pretty strong skill set coming into this year, and Wow, he he's been awful. I you know he had that one decision that gave him six extra earned runs. That's going to really cost him, you know, a, a lot of that. You know, it cost him a big chunk of that ERA. Puts him over six on his ERA. But uh, you look at his component numbers: forty strikeouts to twelve walks and forty-four and two-thirds. You know that right there suggests to me that he's not that far off. But then you look at the home runs: eight homers in that span after giving up sixteen last year. Maybe he's been a little flyball unlucky to go along with everything. I think this is a perfect opportunity to buy low on him. And how do you differentiate, Jeff, between something that's just unusual and something that looks like a, an actual trend for a particular player? I don't think one size fits all. I mean, I think you have to break down. You, you really have to dig with every single player. What are the circumstances? Is he playing more? Is he in better shape? Uh, is it, what age is he? Where is he playing? You know, all these things apply. And I think our mind likes to shape things up and find that we have a, a pattern. We want to find patterns where sometimes they're not there. And I think that's why it's important to really, you know, not have a dogmatic, hard, fast rule that, okay, it's May 1st, it's too, it's too late to say small sample size. No, I, I think that's wrong. I think we were having Scott Pianowski on the show today, and uh, I, I think he made a really good point that at no point in time are things, quote-unquote, stable. They're dynamic, uh, changing players. They're not static. So, you know, it might be July 1st, and, you know, some of the guy's uh, status will change. And I, I think it's a really uh, important thing to remember is you don't want to get locked into that mindset that, okay, this is a, it, you don't want to do it by calendar. You want to do it by performance. You want to do the amplitude of the change, and you want to do, look at the circumstances of the change. Well, okay, then in a larger sense, we're five-plus weeks into the season, and we're always told ex- exercise caution, exercise patience. Do we now have enough information after five weeks to start making sound roster decisions? We don't have a choice. We have to make these roster decisions, right? You know, uh, it, it, we have to make these decisions whether or not to start or reserve a guy or to trade a guy, and then the marginal players to cut a guy. Well, and th- there's a high mistake level there. You know, because we're never going to have perfect information. We we have to do the very best we can. Yeah, I mean, we we can tell when someone. You know, we you happily ignore the on a pace stats, right? But at the same time, you have to look and you know guess. I mean, sometimes it's just a case of like. You know, Carlos Gomez, you had to take that leap of faith with him because the Brewers were going to take that leap of faith with him. Uh, and so, you know, as much as you want to be able to say, oh, last year was a fluke, well, guess what? He's going to play every day. They gave him a four-year deal. 
you know you're going to at least get the speed stats to go with it, and he's hit for power before, so okay, you take your chance. He's not going to hit 360 the rest of the year, but maybe even if he hits 250 the rest of the year, I, I think that that's still got some value to it. What about trade offers? Is it too soon to start making trade offers or listening to them? No, it's never too soon. Uh, I, I think you know, sometimes needs arise, uh, and you have to address them right away. In other cases, yeah, you're, you're, the, the, the traditional shop for value trades, I think you almost have to make them early, don't you? I, I think, you know, come July, it might, you know, you're really you're focusing on categories. This is the time of year where you're really trying to uh, you just try to add value to your team. Sometimes you have an immediate need. You have four guys go down with injuries. That happens. Uh, you lose Roy Halladay, okay, you got to get another starting pitcher. You lose J.J. Putz, you have to get a closer. Okay, fine. You have to go ahead and go out and address that. But otherwise, yeah, you're, you're, it's never too early. Uh, I, I don't like, you know, it, it goes back to being not dogmatic. I mean, you can be, except for being dogmatic about being dogmatic, but um, I, I really think that uh, you want to keep an open mind on everything. That's an interesting point, the uh, the idea that early on you trade for value, later on you trade for categories. But uh, a lot of websites, including the OnRoto site where we run Tout Wars, have what they call the toy box, and you can look at the projected standings. So even now you can get some kind of idea how you stand at the end of the year and where your opportunities might lie. Is Do, do you ever use that particular tool to project out where you're going to finish in making a, a trade even this early? Uh, sometimes uh, I, I don't use that particular tool that often. I think it's a great tool. I, I've I've seen it and I, I like it. I just I tend to have a pretty good feel for my own team too. I mean, if you're you're following your team, you're tracking your team on a regular basis. You know what type of players you have. I mean, you may not know the the you know the, the orders of magnitude of where they might end up, but you know what their skill set basically is, and so you know where you're short when you come into this. What I like about it, and I've all, I've done this for years using uh, old manual spreadsheet to take in the the projected standings, and I say, okay, here's where I figure I'm going to be at the end, and I, it has served me fairly well. And the reason is, I do know what my own where my own team stands. But it's, I, I always find it really difficult to then calculate how the other 14 teams stand and how we're going to break out in the category. So I, I, I kind of like the tool myself. Well, yeah, that's good, and you know we. We all, our minds always work different ways, right? Sometimes we're stronger at just evaluating players. Other times we're stronger at evaluating categories. And like you said, you use a spreadsheet. Other people might just dive into the toolbox. Other people just, you know, kind of have a good gut feel for it. Whatever thing is, you're putting in the time. That's the important part, that you're really kind of trying to analyze it there. Uh, and it's just a differentiation of method more than anything else. I think that's exactly right. Just being involved in your team is going to make you a better team. I don't think there's any question about that. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com and SiriusXM Fantasy Radio. And Jeff, you're best known in the fantasy baseball industry for rotowire.com. How long has the site been going? Well, we started as Roto News back in 1997. There's three of us, Peter Schenke, Herb Ilk, and myself. I got bought out in 99. The company that bought us out died in 2001. They kept our domain name, and that's when we switched to Rotowire. Uh, they, uh, yeah, without getting into sort of details of that, basically we had to switch. So we've been Roto-Wire since 2001. And going strong, and it, the site is getting better all the time. What's been your guiding philosophy or the vision that you had for the site? I oh, just want to be a, a one-stop shop for everything to try to analyze your teams uh, and try to do it for as many sports as possible. You know, we figure that people pay for good content. We're similar to Baseball HQ in that respect that, you know, you provide quality information, quality talent, tools to help you win your league, 
and people are willing to pay for that, and it served us well over time. You know, we started off as uh, a free site, ad-supported revenue, and at that time, you know, the the money in Internet advertising was there, and then we found out it wasn't uh, at a hard way, and we had to switch our business uh, our, our business revenue, but uh, our yeah our, our monetary uh, model, if you will. But uh, since then, it's worked out. And you know, one of the things is we're always trying to add new components, whether it's uh, you know the site redesign that we introduced this year, trying to add more uh, statistical tools to the site, whether it's uh, more uh, tools on our handheld devices. You know, whether it's uh, the draft app or in-season apps, we're trying to always find the new things to add uh, because, you know, you stay static, people are going to pass you by. Rotowire also has a significant presence at Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. You have a nice midday slot, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern time, and you rotate that, don't you, amongst uh, your various staff members? That's right. Uh, I'm on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, typically in a given week. We're on as a whole Monday through Friday from 11 to 2, and then on Saturdays we've got a show that's on from uh, 2 to 5 Eastern time as well. So trying to, or I should say, uh, yeah, 2 to 5 Eastern time. And, uh, you know, you know, it's uh, that, that one we're just kind of getting rolling. We started that in March, and we think that's going pretty well, too. So we're, we're excited uh, just having this presence, this constant presence. And I find that talking about it every day, helps me with my teams, you know, identifying the issues, hearing from other people, talented people in the industry, you know, bouncing ideas off each other. You, you find that, I think, I, I find that I refine my game. Uh, it, it makes it, me a better analyst. It makes me evaluate players better and also keeps me aware of what issues are out there. Yeah, you know, it puts me in mind of stories I've read about uh, bringing together people in a craft. And somebody did a study a few years ago. They were trying to figure out why Silicon Valley works so well. And it turns out a big part of it is because even people from different companies, they, they drink together, you know, they go to the bar on Fridays, and they run into each other at conferences, playing tennis, all these kind of things. And they hearkened that back to the... Um, to the uh, linen trade in Milan back in you know ancient times, practically around the Reformation or whatever, and it and it turns out that that the same model held that because you had all these guilds in close proximity, they were swapping information, formulas, techniques, and so on back and forth, and just the act of talking about it led to refining it. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that for a second. Uh, in a way, it's collaborative collaborative work versus individual work. Uh, there's a UCLA professor uh, just uh, this, I think, this past year had an exam where he encouraged pe- uh, people to work together on the exam. Now, he, he allowed the individuals to work individually if they want people to work individually if they wanted to, but basically he, he encouraged them to quote unquote cheat together, work together. And so it was, it, the whole the whole point was trying to teach collaborative work, and the people that work together in groups did better. Uh, uh, by and large, and he also gave him the option after reviewing the exams. He goes, "Okay, we can. I'm going to give you a choice right now. We can just toss this exam away because he said it was a really hard exam too, or uh, we can keep your result with with your group effort together. And almost to a, a person, they almost all wanted to keep it, and they are almost all better too. So yeah, the whole point is, you know, going over this, discussing it, coming up with a consensus. It's not necessarily a uh, wisdom of the masses lessons is lesson as much as it is is refining our information by discussing it more yeah in fact the wisdom of the masses model is is some, somewhat antithetical to the discussing with people who know what they're talking about model because I, I i agree that there's something to be said for the wisdom of the masses in certain in certain decision areas but when you're talking about valuation models for rotisserie players that's fairly esoteric knowledge and it takes a certain amount of background that you don't really 
probably wouldn't benefit so much from talking about it with just the eleven guys in your league who are you know pipe fitters in their in their work lives. Well, yeah. Well, it, it depends on it. You know that that's the difference between ADP versus a forum where you're discussing discussing things back and forth. ADP right. is just always a, it's a collection of individual decisions, whereas you know your forum you're, you're refining the ideas with each other. Yeah, and the ADPs uh, average draft positions. It always struck me that this was this was should never be read as as a uh, as a referendum on where a player should be taken. It, but it's very useful for where a player will be taken, and that can have tactical advantage that has nothing to do with the guy's actual skill. Right, exactly right. You and your RotoWire partner Chris Liss had a video conversation on your site just the other day about what to do with a team that you have, and it's off to a real terrible start, whether it's through bad luck or just uh, bad performance. And your advice to him was keep plugging. And how you had some good ideas how best you can do that. Yeah, uh, a couple things. Uh, one, set smaller goals. You know, have target categories. You know, try to, try to gain two points in this category over a shorter period of time. Try to target one particular team. If you need motivation as an issue, call up that guy that's ahead of you in the standings, offer a side bet. You know, you find find ways to do it. One of the things my league does that I I absolutely love doing it's our, my, the home league I spoke about earlier is we have monthly prizes. You know, it always gives you a reason to to uh, have have that edge. And you know what? It works. It really does work. Uh, the other thing is, you know, another one of my leagues is we have penalties for the bottom place finishes. So you know, it also encourages you not to give up there. But you should, you know, if if you need that sort of motivation, most people at least they don't give up this early. Uh, you know, you got to realize one month into the season, a lot of things can change. You might be having the preponderance of bad luck and bad starts right now, but almost everyone has bad luck at some point in time, and you should be able to be there to take advantage of it when they do. If you're running ten or fifteen teams as you are, is the temptation not to uh, to say I'm going to focus a little more strongly on my first and second place teams and maybe let the fifteenth and fourteenth place teams slide a little? Isn't that the uh, normal human motivation? I would say that we. Uh, I think that yeah, yeah, it makes us feel better. It validates us when you uh, we have these good teams. Uh, yeah, might as well spend a long time. But really, in, in reality, the teams that are struggling are the ones that need more work, the ones that need more attention. Right. Uh, so you have to fight that. But I try not to play favorites with that, especially this early in the season. I'll tell you where it gets tough. It's in the later summer after the All Star break. You know, if you play fantasy football, you start hearing a lot more about that. You start doing mock drafts for that. You start getting ready for your draft dates. Maybe you have a family vacation in the summertime. Okay, well, it's easy just to kind of turn off the world for a little bit. It, it, it's easy to lose that edge. And then if you're doing that, then what you we accommodate that by, like, uh, prioritizing certain leagues. And at some point that makes sense, but certainly not now. You also mentioned that, that some leagues have a, have a – uh payout system that pays cash to all the spots first to last and that every time you move up you gain a little actual money right right exactly um uh, it's maybe last place you don't get paid anything but or maybe you get a small rebate back from the bunch but yeah every incremental step is important i I think that's also a fun fun way to play it too Uh, i think that uh unfortunately you have to pretty much have a a little bit more significant outlay to get to make that really work because no one's going to get motivated right. by an extra quarter coming back. But, you know, uh, <laughs> if, if you're getting actual dollars back, well, man, yeah, that makes a deal. I've mentioned this before on the show, uh, but in our league we had trouble for a few years trying to keep people involved because guys not being involved leads to skewing of waiver results and so forth. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and bad trades and all that, yeah. 
Yeah, and and one of the mechanisms we introduced was, as a lot of leagues have, I think, is we have a farm draft in the subsequent year. We changed it from 12th to 1st to the first pick being the first guy out of the money and downwards towards the last place guy, and then the money guys go go last. And the second thing we did was we had a, a rule that said everybody has to throw in an extra 50 bucks into the pot. If you finished first through tenth, you got your fifty bucks back at the end of the year. And if you finished eleventh or twelfth, you lost your fifty bucks. And then we drew uh, numbers out of a hat to see who got the hundred bucks. And you got more balls in the hat the higher you were in the standing. I like that too. And one of the things my uh, the Rotowire staff football league does it's uh, uh, we do is like there's a side bet. The, the the six of us that live in the West Coast, not not the Madison folks, but uh, what we do is uh, we have a side bet based on total points. We go out to a steak dinner every year, and the bottom three people pay for the top three people, basically. Last place one pays for three meals. Fifth place pays for his meal and himself. Fourth place pays for just himself. And the top three people eat for free. And, and you get bragging rights at the dinner, which is not, uh, not to be overlooked. Exactly. Exactly right. And, you know, so that, that, you know, you have people making moves in week 17. We go all the way through. And it, you know, that's the whole point. We, if you love the game, you know, you want everything to count. You know, you, you really want it, you know. Why would you want less of it to count? So that's why we do it that way. It's Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com and SiriusXM Fantasy Radio. And Jeff, uh, you've been a guest uh, many times, as I can remember, more than me, in fact, at the First Pitch Arizona. And one of the panels we've worked on together is called Facts or Flukes. We've been doing that this year on the show. And uh, we'll just run through a few players who are having some odd season so far and ask if you think they're facts or flukes we mentioned david price uh, his era is over six because they hung those extra earned runs on him is david price's horrendous start a fact or a fluke no it's a fluke i think uh, I, I get the home run rate is a little scary but hey uh if he is if i would try, i would definitely seek out the david price owner and try to trade for him but i, I my guess is that owner is probably going to be pretty stubborn about trading him too you're probably not going to get too much of a value but yeah Go ahead and offer, you know. Go ahead and offer a guy from the uh, the, the next tier down if you want to try to see if you can see what you can get for him. I'm trying to think of a good like a good comp would be, but uh, I would try to buy low on him. Most leagues, you know, are, are so uh, are pretty savvy these days that it's hard hard to pull that off. But I would offer Matt Latos for him right now. I'd offer Matt Moore for him right now. Rotowire pointed out the other day in your news feed that Jeff Keppinger of the White Sox is batting 191 and his OPS is under 400. A lot of people had some high hopes for Jeff Keppinger. Is he a fact or a fluke at this low level? I mean, he hasn't taken a walk yet. I think, I think his walk-up song is uh, "Walking in L.A." But uh, I don't know. Uh, otherwise, I think he's kind of you know he's a fact a little bit that he was going to drop off from last year. Anyhow, uh, I don't think the hopes were that extremely high. So it's not really like you can profit off that information. Boston third baseman Will Middlebrooks is out hitting Keppinger by a point. He's at 192 and 39 strikeouts, only five walks in 120 some plate appearances. Middlebrooks' slow start is it a fact or a fluke? It's kind of a fact. His plate discipline's awful and always has been, and the minors is pretty awful too. You know, Joe, Joe Sheehan's newsletter uh, just last, I think, two days ago was talking about this and talking how this this is this is his skill set. Now, granted, you know, he'll, he's flux. He's subject to any fluctuation in batting average like anybody else. His power is legit. He's still hitting for power when he does hit it. It's just that he doesn't hit enough. So it's a fact. Lots of interest in Milwaukee starter Marco Estrada at many drafts. And here he sits at minus $12 on Baseball HQ's uh, statistical estimate. Do we trust a 605 ERA 150 whip? Or do we trust the decent peripherals that say it should be much better? 
he's the new Ricky Nolasco. Decent peripherals, but anytime he gets it in the zone, it gets hit, it seems like, right? Uh, you know, the thing is, he's always had problems with home runs. He's going to have his outings where his stuff is good enough that he doesn't get hit hard, but he almost is afraid to give up that walk is the way it seems like to me. So when he gets behind the count, he hits, puts the cookie in the zone and he gets hit hard. Uh, I don't know what I, it's, I don't want to connotate fear or lack of manliness or anything like that, but I do want to say that, um, that you know he's going to have these awful outings from time to time, and it's just really going to skew things tough. He's going to get the strikeouts uh, because he throws a lot of strikes, but at the same time, I, I think there, I, I don't think there's going to be that big monster season coming. I, I was wrong on him. This is a guy that I was high on coming into the season. I advised because of the strikeout rate, but I. I'm kind of following along with my colleague Chris List that you know I'm not buying in him anymore. Just before we started this segment, I talked with Jock Thompson of Baseball HQ. He's our American League reporter about uh, the Tampa bullpen has been terrible this year, usually a strength. And I'm wondering, has their poor performance been a factor of fluke? Uh, I mean, Rodney's his walk rate is back to where it was when he was on the Angels. I'm really worried about him. I haven't been out, and I'm concerned about that. Jake McGee's really been awful. That's the one that really blew me away. I, I did not see that coming. But, you know, relief pitchers, I mean, how how often can they repeat from year to year? There, there's very few guys that are good more than two or three years at a time. So it shouldn't be completely blown away the fact that they have had some struggles. Peralta still pitched pretty well, by the way. I'd invest in him if you could right now. Joel Peralta seems like he he's still got the strong components. He's the one guy I feel comfortable with right now. Mike Trout was the subject of controversy in fantasy circles coming into the season. A certain bearded gentleman associated with BaseballHQ.com said that he may not return first-round value. Right now he's at $24. He's not a first-round value. Is $24 for Mike Trout a fact or a fluke? I think it's a little bit of a fluke. I think uh, as it heats up, the power will heat up a little bit more. I, I think the times are still coming with him. I... Uh, yeah, you know, and the thing is, so so he's not first round value right now. Ron always does the study that you know most first round guy. You know, more often than not, you get like four or five out of the top twelve to, to return first round value. Not much more than that. So playing a percentage play, but he's not been that far off. He's not the guy that's killing you right now if you're not doing well. Oh, that's for sure. Where do you think Mike Trout finishes? Top twelve, top fifteen? Yeah, I do. Tim Lincecum was a speculative investment coming into the season, and a lot of people made that. And so far, at least, it's not returning profit. He's under zero at minus $5, I think, at HQ. Is he a freak fact or a freak fluke? Whatever it is, it says for me to keep staying away from him, that's what it is. Uh, I I think it's a fact that he is where he's at right now. I assiduously avoided him this year. Chris Davis of Baltimore, off to a tremendous home run start. He had a 5% walk rate in 2011, raised it to 7% last year. He's at 15% this year. And that, is that a huge skill change like that? Is that a sustainable thing or a factor of fluke? I think it's probably a small sample size fluke. He might be improving. He's not going to end up at 15%. He could end up at 9%, and that would be still a solid year of improvement for him, right? I, I think he probably does get pitched around more so now this year than he did last uh, I, I think that aspect of it, the fact is, others in the lineup around him are getting better. I think Baltimore's ascendancy is a fact. I think that uh, you know a lot of their young players are getting more experience. Manny Machado getting a full year under his belt, you know, it, it make it just rises all, all levels on the boat. But as far as Chris Davis specifically, in terms of his walk rate, I think 50% is a fluke. Carl Crawford of the Dodgers is back into the low 20s. Uh, in addition to asking you if it's a factor of fluke, I'm asking, can he maintain the level? Yeah, I, it's always about health with him, right? Uh, I don't think there is 
you know, you know we saw, what we saw in Boston from him was kind of unfair because he was always in fits and starts. He was never playing on a reliable, consistent basis. He always seemed to be hurt one way or another. He was getting moved all around in the lineup. Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, give him a full, solid year out there. Yeah, you're going to get pretty decent value. It's just a question, can he stay healthy? He's, he's tweaked his hammy once. He had the slow return from the elbow surgery. If that ever becomes an issue again, yeah, he can't play because he can't play the infield. So that that's always going to be weighing over him. But if you can presume health, then, yeah, it's a fact. Brett Laurie of Toronto was another fairly tall draft pick uh, in a lot of drafts this year because people were expecting uh, a big kind of recovery growth year. Instead, he's at three homers, seven RBIs. He's yet to steal a base, and he's not hitting 200. Is his mid-teen dollar value last year starting to feel like the outlier here, or is this poor year uh, a fluke? Uh, You know, when a guy comes back from an injury like that to start the season, I always want to give it a little bit more air, a little bit more time. Percolate. So I'm going to say it's a fluke at this point in time. He's got 80 at bats. Uh, uh, you know that that to me doesn't seem like a big enough sample to kind of declare it uh, victory or defeat one way or another. And finally, Paul Goldschmidt of Arizona is the second highest ranked first baseman, maybe the top guy now with two home runs the other night. He's well over thirty dollars this year. Is Paul Goldschmidt a fact or a fluke? He's a fact. But then again, I've been the outlier on Goldschmidt all along, so I'm, I'm biased in this response. I had him at like 19 overall in my initial set of rankings. So. Um, I, I and that's partially because he ran so much last year. 18 stolen bases last year. Already yeah. four for four on the base pass this year too. Should be noted. Uh, I, I was at the game on Tuesday night where he homered off of uh, 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 you know off of um, uh, Brandon League. It was an 11 pitch at bat. Is actually in the section where he fouled off two balls straight line drives back right straight backward. He was on him. He was just you know waiting out the at bat. He had just a very professional at bat. And I just feel like. He's locked in right now. Strikeouts are going to be an issue. He's not going to hit 320, but I think he's going to hit 30 homers this year. I think he's going to steal 10 to 10 to 15 bases. So yeah, I'll say his placement there is, is definitely fact. Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Jeff Erickson from RotoWire and SiriusXM Fantasy. And Jeff, before we let you go, we also ask our experts for their favorite buy lows and sell highs. And let's start in the American League. How about a hitter you're either going to buy low? I mean that you are going to buy low. I'll go Brett Laurie. Why not? We mentioned him earlier. I, I think his value is as low as it gets. It's not just that you want to buy low. You want to buy lowest. You want to buy him at his absolute nadir. And this is, that's it for him right now. I mean, he's not going to get worse than this. On the National League side, a hitter you're going to buy low? Uh, how about Peter Alvarez? We'll go with the third base slumpers there, the batting average slumpers. Uh, again, I, I understand that uh, he, the motion is possible at some point in time. The K rate is, is what it is. But he could also hit 35 homers, and I'll take that chance. On the pitching side, an American League pitcher you think is a buy-low candidate other than David Price? Jared Parker. I I understand there's some problems with him. I I think he's going to be dirt cheap to get because he's such a young pitcher, because because the bad has been so bad, gave up four homers in his last start. I still think there's a high upside. I I think that Park still works in his favor. may get sent down for a while even. But you get him at such a dirt cheap price that the payoff could be pretty huge. How about a National League pitcher to buy low? You know, we'll go Ryan Vogelsong. I believe that, uh, you know, you look at his just, his K rate's been pretty stable. He's, he's been a little bit hit heavy. I understand that his margin for error isn't as high as it might be for other pitchers, but I think he's pitches in a good ballpark for a good team. I, I think this is a really good chance for recovery from him. What about R.A. Dickey? You know, that's an interesting one because the, you know, the strikeout, the magnitude of the strikeout jump is so high. 
it's, at that section age, it's really hard to know what to make out of it there. But his ERA and WHIP, the two previous years, were also outstanding, and I think that there's a chance that he kind of recovers. I think he is also an interesting buy-low candidate if his owners are willing to, do, to sell him off of that. Maybe play, you know, I want to see what happens with the health again. It's a lot of times it's not a degradation of skills, it's sometimes it's health. And, you know, that neck he's had a couple of times it's been examined. I wonder if that's still a lingering issue for him. Turning the tables, we'll go to some sell high candidates. Uh, an American League hitter, you think, whose hot start can't be sustained. Now's the time to cash in. Vernon Wells, right? Uh, doesn't yeah. get any uh, more outlier than that. You know, he's walking more. You know, he's hitting for average. You know, he's going to lose playing time when everybody comes back, when Granderson comes back. You know, most of your leagues, you know, it might be, you know, if, if you lucked in Vernon Wells in the first place, chances are that you got him at such a cheap price and the rest of your league is going to be kind of avoiding him anyhow, but might as well try. You don't think he maybe steals some at-bats from Ichiro's? Uh, he's out OPS. He'll some, but he's not going to play every day. I think he'll lose some playing time, and I think inevitably he will slump. How about a National League hitter who's a good sell-high candidate? John Buck. If someone like dealt, you know, grabbed him at desperation for a day, like when Carlos Ruiz was out, and all, uh, you know, you might have this windfall in your hands. Chances are, you know, he's got some weight and power, but he's not going to keep going at this crazy pace. The batting average is already dropping. It might be too late. That's the only problem with him. An American League pitcher you'd like to sell high? Uh, American League pitcher I'd like to sell high. Let's. Why don't we say Clay Buckles? Might be too late again there, unfortunately, because of that Monday start, because of the uh, the spitball sunscreen incident there. I, I don't know what to make out of that, but I certainly don't think the K rate that he started off with is going to be sustainable. I think that falls off, don't you? Yeah, I, I don't know what to make out of it. You know, Clay Buchholz a few years ago had a really fairly substantial K rate. Then it fell off, and I think it fell off partly because the pitching coaches told him that they wanted him to, to, to get down and so he could get farther into games. And maybe now that that's all changed around, Farrell's back, uh, you know, maybe that maybe they're telling him go out and get strikeouts again. I, I don't know what to make of Clay Buckholz. I don't know what I'd do with him if I owned him, but I don't. I have him in one league. I kind of got him as a, a cheapie. I don't know. If, and thing is, again, I don't I, – I'm getting offered him in leagues, too. So that, to me, is a sign that others don't believe in him either. So we'll see about that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it might be tough to find someone that's uh, going to be a, a true buyer on him right now. That raises an interesting question, Jeff. When you get a trade offer, to what degree do you assess the your your perceptions of the skill of the of the owner who's making the offer? Oh, it's huge. Uh, if Chris Liss offers me a trade, I dig into it a little bit more to see what he's going for. Uh, as opposed to well, other people, I won't do that as much. Um, yeah, if, if you know, you certainly, and other people, you you automate. And with Chris, it's not necessarily. I feel like I'm being hoodwinked. It's more like, why is he going about doing this? What does he see that I don't? If if I if it's something that's on my radar, sometimes it's uh, you know people. I, you know, Ron is actually really good at with his trade offers. He'll say like, I need this, you need this. This is why I see this. This is what I'm offering, and that that makes it easier to trade with Ron. Either there's a deal or there's not, and it's pretty quick. Other people, you have to spend some time digging in it. You, t- you know, you know pretty quickly whether or not it's going to get done. But others, you have to spend that time and try to figure out what the motivation is and all that. Uh, but yeah, it, who who I trade with does matter a little bit. It, I have a league where we have a, a a certain owner in our league who's who's very um, makes snap decisions and will make offers that that. Uh, you know, you always want to listen when he makes an offer because sometimes he's offering you guys he shouldn't be offering. Yeah, and I have a guy in the new home league I'm in. Makes you know, it's a it's a daily moves league. He churns a lot. It's a it's I actually kind of appreciate this. Like it's an eleven team mix. It's your basic thin league, which 
you know, I, I don't get a chance to play in that much. I, I like knowing, but, but yet it's the most common type of league out there. So we should, you know, you should play it just so you have that aptitude to do well in that sort of type of format. You can give proper advice, you know, in the proper context. But this guy, he'll give you, you know, five trade offers a month, and three of them will be ridiculously lopsided in his favor. The fourth one might be ridiculously lopsided in your favor, and the fifth one is, is neutral. I mean, you really have to, you'd have to pay attention to it. You can counter back and forth to the guy. It's not like he's purposely lowballing you sometimes. It's just he's impulsive, and you have to be able to know how to deal with an owner like that. That's right. It's just uh, success in this game is a lot about, like poker, reading the guys in the room and trying to understand what their motivations are and tr- seeing if they have tells and so forth. What about a National League pitcher you got to sell high on? Why not Jason Grilly? Uh, first year as a closer, the Pirates are playing well right now, but uh, you know, they've had two straight second-half swoons, and uh, you know, typically the closers become expendable if they do start to swoon. Maybe this is the year the Pirates are plus 500. I'm actually kind of rooting for them, as long as it doesn't come at the expense of my Reds. But uh, you know, at the same time, I, 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 you know, I think that this is maybe a ripe, ripe opportunity. He's not going to get so many save opportunities the rest of the year. I rostered Melanson in my reserve list because I just didn't buy Grilly, and I'm going to hang on to him on my reserve. He's an okay pitcher in the meantime. If I have to activate him for a week, you know, I, I think Grilly's a vulnerable guy as a closer. I agree, and then, you know, I, I like Melanson, and I actually, in a super deep NL only league, I have Brian Morris. I don't think that one's going to really bear any fruit, but, you know, the, the takeaway here is, as we've seen with the Red Sox, and they're naming Gene Tazawa as the closer right now, you know, just because he's not the first guy in line doesn't mean you should should avoid the guy if he's displayed a certain sort of skill set. You know, take those stabs at value because you want to pay the the $1 in fab as opposed to having to pay half your budget for it. Jeff, uh, before we let you go, tell us where listeners can get more from Jeff Erickson. Sure. Um, first of all, rotowire.com. Uh, for those that don't know, we uh, do all sports, but of course, baseball we spend a ton on in terms of, I, I write, write a couple articles per week, one charging them out with Chris Liss and I, we go back and forth on issues every week. Uh, we have uh, fab articles, all the latest news, uh, all, all that sort of good stuff, a lot of tools to help you win your league. Uh, I'm on the air Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday on Rotowire Fantasy Sports Today. It's on Sirius XM, uh, at Sirius 210, XM 87. Rotowire as a whole is on 11 to 2 on uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, and then you can also follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. All right, Jeff, thanks very much for doing this. It's always a pleasure, and we'll talk to you again, I hope, during the year. Great talking to you, Patrick. That's Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com, SiriusXM. You heard all about it. Do track him down because a lot of wisdom there going to help you win your league. Our regular commentaries are next, and a few changes there, too. We'll be back in a second. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I was asking you, sir, uh... <clears throat> Why it is that baseball wants this bill passed? I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they'd want it passed is to keep baseball going as the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. I'm not in here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business that was ever put out in the hundred years at the present time. Well, Mr. Mantle, do you uh, have any observations with reference to uh, the applicability of the antitrust laws to baseball? Well, my, my views are just about the same as Casey's. <laughs> baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. 
Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. We have Matt Beagle on deck with HQ Alternatives. Ryan Bloomfield is in the hole with HQ Matchups. BaseballHQ.com writer and team analyst Phil Hertz is batting cleanup with Master Notes. And leading off the Minor League Minute, BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about Arizona right-handed pitching prospect Archie Bradley. The Arizona Diamondbacks' Archie Bradley continues to emerge as one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Bradley, the seventh overall pick in the pitching-rich 2011 draft, comes after hitters with a plus 93-98 mile-an-hour fastball. He also has a decent curve and a changeup that's decent and continues to improve. Bradley struggled with control in his full-season debut last year, walking 84 batters in just 136 innings, but he also struck out 152. The Diamondbacks started Bradley in the hitter-friendly Cal this year, but he made quick work of the league going 2-0 with a 1.26 ERA, earning an early promotion to AA. Bradley has shown much better command this year, and through his first seven starts, is 3-0 with a 1.23 ERA. He's given up just 13 walks while striking out 54 in 36.2 innings. Bradley's career strikeout rate is now 10.8 per nine, and he has one of the more electric arms in the National League. Bradley will need to continue to refine his mechanics and improve his off-speed stuff, but if he can, Archie Bradley has the stuff to be a true number one starter. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garropy, and Chris Maloney have reports and updates on the top prospects, organizational moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on the rising stars. Baseball HQ's call-up reports this week looked at San Francisco outfielder Francisco Piguero, St. Louis right-hander Carlos Martinez, Miami second baseman Derek Dietrich, and many more. And our minor league watch list, highlighting less heralded prospects who nonetheless have a clear path to the majors this year, looked at Seattle middle infielder Nick Franklin, White Sox catcher Josh Fegley, Tampa infielder Vince Belnome, and many more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's HQ Alternatives with BaseballHQ.com writer Matt Beagle talking about alternative formats and alternative strategies. This week, Matt's topic is why the Twins offer the most counting stats for the remainder of the year. I love points leagues. Simple format, immediate gratification. Still some analysis, but not as much as rotisserie. The experts scoff at points leagues for this reason, but if you look at the advent of daily leagues and their success... They're all points-based leagues. Why? Again, simple format, immediate gratification. We can also learn some things from points leagues that we can apply to almost any format. A couple years ago, I developed, about this time of year as we get close to the quarter poll, some quick ways to add to your counting stats. For example, if you're debating between Chris Parmley and Adam Lind for your fantasy team as a corner infielder, did you know that Parmalee will play six more games the rest of the season than Lind. Yes, the Minnesota Twins, due to their poor climate and snowstorms, have only played 30 games going into Friday, whereas the Blue Jays, Phillies, and Oakland A's have all played 36. That's 20% more games by those three latter teams. So if you're looking for counting stats, you want to target those teams that still have more games to play. Besides the Twins at 30 games, there are four teams that have only played 31. Detroit Tigers, Kansas City Royals, New York Mets, and Milwaukee Brewers. 
That's four less games than Seattle, Cincinnati, and the San Francisco Giants. So when you go to look at players you're looking at for counting stats, maybe it's a second catcher, a middle infielder, one of the places you want to look at is how many games they have yet to play. Of course, you look at the lineups for the next week. But also keep in mind the long term if you're looking at someone who's going to be a keeper or someone you hope to keep all year on your roster. The number of games that teams have played this early part of the season vary dramatically depending on how many games they've had canceled because of inclement weather. With the HQ Alternative, this is Matt Beagle. Matt Beagle is the official video blogger of Stratomatic, and his columns on a variety of fantasy baseball topics appear at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's HQ matchups, looking at individual pitcher skills for Sunday's games and how certain pitchers match up against certain opposing lineups. The scale runs from 5, which is a must-start, to minus 5, which is a must-sit. With the skinny on games for the coming days, here's BaseballHQ.com's Ryan Bloomfield. BaseballHQ.com's starting pitching report gives Lance Lynn an excellent 2.38 rating heading into Monday's start against the Mets. His skills have been outstanding so far this year, and he's hot entering this matchup. He's given up a total of just four earned runs in his last four outings combined, while striking out eight-plus in three of those four starts. On the season overall, Lynn is striking out more than a batter per inning with an expected ERA of 3.38, so don't hesitate to keep Lynn active this week. Next up is Ryan Dempster, and he's 36, but he's posting some of the best skills of his career so far this year. He's got an electric 11.5 dom and 125 BPV, despite being only 2 and 3 so far. But these are ace-level skills that indicate his 2.93 ERA has generally been legit. On Sunday, he'll face Toronto, a lineup hitting only 239 so far with a 306 on base percentage. So expect another strong outing given Dempster's 2.8 matchup rating. On the flip side, Juan Nicasio's skills have pretty much fallen off this year after showing some promise the last couple of seasons. He's simply walking too many batters, and his 6.6 dom is well below where he's been at in the past. Nicasio hasn't eclipsed the 100 pitch mark yet in any of his starts, and he hasn't made it through 6 innings in any of his last 6 starts as well. He does get a light-hitting Cubs team this week, but until you start seeing a turnaround in Acasio's base skills, consider him a risky option. And finally, Bud Norris gets a tough test on Monday. He'll go up against the Tigers, who are averaging upwards of 5.5 runs per game. Norris is also pitching on the road, and he's had a huge home road split with a 5.49 ERA on the road compared to just 3.37 at home over the last three seasons combined. Norris's skills have also fallen off a bit as well. He's widely known as a strikeout pitcher, but has just a 6.2 dom so far this year, which would be a career low by a pretty wide margin. His 4.63 expected ERA and negative 1.67 matchup rating for his upcoming start should probably have you looking at other options. Visit BaseballHQ.com for more extensive coverage of daily matchups every day from Monday through Saturday. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with Baseball HQ. Attention daily streaming league and salary cap gamers, anybody who benefits from being able to swap pitchers in and out, Ryan Bloomfield and Brian Brickley do comprehensive starting pitcher matchup reports 
every day at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for Master Notes. As you heard last week, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler is stepping away from the day-to-day operations at BaseballHQ.com, and that includes Master Notes. So we're going to a rotation basis. Ron will take his spot every five or six weeks or so. And this week, BaseballHQ.com writer and team analyst Phil Hertz talks about not worrying about the artificial price benchmarks from the auction. Last week in Tout Wars NL Only League, I traded a $25 Ike Davis to Rotowire's Chris Liss for a $14 Jeff Samarja and a $5 Todd Helton. The trade engendered a few comments focused on the dollar disparity between Davis and Samarja. Admittedly, the deal could be viewed as selling low on the struggling Davis, but was that the case? And were the draft day values still valid five weeks into the season? Too often, we worry about what are artificial benchmarks. Remember, projections are just approximations. When we project a player to earn $20, the real range is probably somewhere between $15 and $25. So how did Ike Davis wind up costing $25? Many websites had Davis on watch lists this preseason. In our first pitch forums, there was even a slide that showed how Davis might turn out to be the most valuable first baseman in the National League. Even with that hype, $25 was probably higher than most sites were projecting. I wound up going to $25 for a variety of reasons. A couple of other of the other corners I had targeted were already gone, and at prices above my budget. I used total control drafting, in which going the extra dollar or two, or in this case three or four, is often necessary. Admittedly, $25 was likely at the high end of prices paid for Davis this spring in redraft leagues. What about Samarja and his $14 price? Just as with Davis, the league context played a key role. In tout wars, it's typical for many teams to have a hitting-pitching split of 200-60. This year, the pitching-hitting imbalance was even more pronounced. As a result, pitching prices tend to be deflated, as even the elite pitchers go for about $10 less than the elite hitters. Solid pitchers like Sabarja often cost in the low teens. By my count, 15 starters went for between $11 and $15 this year. Much of the davis samarja price difference is simply a byproduct of pitcher-hitter dynamics. We also need to look at when the trade took place, several weeks after the draft. During that time, Samarja has replicated his 2012 breakout, while Davis again started off slowly. Even if one believes Davis will eventually straighten things out, the price differential has closed. Indeed, according to BaseballHQ.com's Balance of the Year projections, the difference is down to a dollar. Perhaps most importantly, we have not yet come to the most important factor in deciding to make the trade, the current context of both teams. Chris's interest in making the trade was driven by a dramatic pitching-hitting disparity. While he was near the top in ERA, WHIP, and Ks, he was near the bottom in runs and RBIs. Conversely, I had come out of the draft with a dearth of starters and had already fallen to last in Ks and next to last in wins. However, I was at or near the top in home runs, runs, and RBIs, even despite Davis's slow start. For me, the driving force in this deal was not Davis's struggles, but the need to improve my starting pitching. Perhaps if I had waited a few weeks and Davis got hot, I might have acquired a better pitcher. But by then, I'd have fallen further behind in the pitching categories. I also would have risked getting a lesser pitcher or no pitcher if Davis continued to slump. What's the lesson in all this? Once your draft is over, throw out those dollar values or forget the draft round 
and analyze trades in the context of what a player is doing and what your team needs. That's not to say sell low, but rather don't worry about the fact that the player being offered might have cost half of the player being acquired. Circumstances change as the season progresses, sometimes dramatically. You can't afford to worry about draft day values a month or three into the season because it's just possible you overpaid. Your best option may simply be to maximize the current values of your players in light of your future needs. That's Phil Hertz, BaseballHQ.com writer and team analyst. Remember, you can get Masternotes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. And, of course, we'll continue to have Masternotes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of May the 10th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 17 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guests today, starting with Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com and the Sirius XM Fantasy Channel. Jeff's one of the great guys in a business full of great guys. I also want to thank our regular guests from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, and home to a few great guys of its own like our League Watch News analysts, Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson, our minor league analyst, Rob Gordon, our HQ alternative commentator, Matt Beagle, our HQ matchups commentator, analyst Ryan Bloomfield, and our Master Notes commentator this week, BaseballHQ.com writer and team analyst Phil Hertz. Be sure to check out BaseballHQ.com now and in the next few days for these features. Ron Chandler has a fanalytics column, What's a Player Really Worth? Rick Wilton, Dr. HQ, continues his series on medical terminology by looking at flexor mass forearm injuries. And Bob Berger has a research piece right now on whether rookies are really worth big investments. Plus, we have all our regular features on playing time, buyer's guides, division outlooks, pitcher matchups, and much more. I'm Patrick Davitt. Keep your eye peeled next week for my research article on pitch counts and PQS. I also hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. My own personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt. Be glad to have you join my merry band of followers, few as they are. And please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and rate the show. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.